This is Mission Disco, a conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. We are your DJs for this conversation. Nathan told me the other day that he uh, asked him what he wanted to be when he grows up, and he said he wants to be a DJ. I love that. I love that. I love that. He he listened to the Chemical Brothers um, at Glastonbury. We were sitting and the Chemical Brothers were on, so he watched the Chemical Brothers set at Glastonbury. And now all he wants to listen to in the car is the Chemical Brothers, and he wants to be a DJ when he goes up. So. It's a metaphor for ministry, DJ, DJing. It's like you, uh, you know, rock star. A rock star is a certain kind of ministry role where you're the center of attention. Yeah. Everyone yeah. cheers you. You're on stage. But a DJ is this alternative metaphor where they're in some box. They're usually not in front. They're like the side or the back yeah, or something yeah. like that. They're creating the space. They're creating this space where you can dance. I mean, in a sense, the 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 celebrant is the dancer not the stage so it's a better it's a better meta- metaphor for finish your kids yeah. your kid knows what he's doing he's, <laughs> he's preparing himself for future ministry <laughs> he didn't know that he was saying he wanted to do ministry but i was kind of just hoping he'd be a world famous dj <laughs> just i like go to glastonbury and watch him play a set that's that's kind of my dream here you weren't hoping for him to be a church leader oh, no. <laughs> oh wow. Well, you can dream. <laughs> okay, well, welcome to another episode of Mission Disco. Yeah, we're here. We are here. I always feel we, uh, I said this, I think, on the last one as well, that we uh, go straight into content. So any kind of light, pointless conversation to start us off, Brian. <laughs> no, I did I wonder just... on the way here, do you have any, uh, do you do jokes? Like actual jokes with a punchline? Yeah. No, that's you're just naturally you funny. Do, that. <laughs> do no. not have any jokes with the punchline. No, that's no, you don't. You do that? Is that an Irish thing? Would you? I don't do it regularly. Or anything, but... <laughs> but you have a few in your repertoire when needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not. Well, give there. us a joke, Simon. No, they're, it's, it, the problem is with jokes. You you hear lots of good ones, or you read lots of good ones. I have this book at home, which is like great dad jokes. I find them funny, but probably lots of people don't because they're called great dad jokes. But uh, I never remember the good ones. I only remember the terrible. Well, it's a certain kind of person also that has a book of jokes. Yeah, that, that owns, is true. That owns a book yeah, of jokes. Yeah, that is true. It's you. Anyway, um, it's good to be here. We have um, Michael Briggs with us as well, joining us. Yes, you said my surname very weird. I, <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> Mr. Michael Briggs. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, dialogue and mission and how we engage uh, with people, understanding people, learning from people, speak the gospel into um, people's lives and with people. So we're going to chat a little bit to Michael about that. Michael, maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, not just your bio, but something hilarious about yourself as well. Sure. No uh, pressure. Do you like jokes, Michael? Do I like jokes? Uh, yeah, you I was, might. I was hoping Simon yeah, you might, might share. You're... I remember one joke that Simon told us. <laughs> please, <all> please. <laughs> About a king. Uh, oh, yeah. I was hoping he might share that one, but I'll leave that to him. Uh, but very few people find it funny. Yeah. It's a problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, so my name's Michael. I'm from Northern Ireland. I've been living in Dublin for 16 years. That's a long time. 17 years. 16, 2003, wasn't it? 2003. I came down to work in 
um, bounce in the disco uh, that Simon uh, ran with a few of us, and then I just stayed here. Um, I married the DJ and uh, <laughs> bought a house and settled down, and uh, I now uh, help to, to run the church uh, that operates uh, out of uh, the, the same building that the disco is in, uh, Ignite, and yeah, and uh, I work for an international development agency as well. So. Married the DJ, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. I've never used B, that before. B was the DJ? B yeah, was the DJ, yeah. I was the bouncer, as you can tell. Married uh, the DJ. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. No, both of those roles are giving me some trouble here. Trying. To, trying. <laughs> if you'd seen this, you would be worried as well. Um, so, yeah, you originally from Northern Ireland. What was it like originally when you first moved in? Because I think this is interesting to understand kind of culture and where we're... Yeah, it was a different context. Um, I think... Initially, when I left Northern Ireland, without ostracizing any Northern Irish listeners, I, I just wanted to get out of Northern Ireland. Hmm. Um, it was around the time, well, the tail end of the Troubles. Uh, I, there had been peace for a while, but I, I'd been sick of the sectarianism. Um, I grew up in a, well, in a very Protestant loyalist village. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I just wanted to get out of there. So I took a year out. I was sent um, by the Methodist Church to Dublin. Um, and it's a totally different context. Um, I remember my first night actually in the disco and uh, just almost being a little bit shocked, uh, a little bit of shock and awe at um, just the young people, at what they were wearing, at how they were dancing, at all of that, uh, just kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm made for this. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I ended up loving it in the end. I ended up uh, in, enjoying uh, the culture around Dublin and, and uh, yeah. Was there a particular turning point at all when you were kind of inbounds the conversations or you know chatting with people or what was it in particular that made you stay 16 years yeah um i think a lot of it is relationships uh, a lot of it is yeah building strong relationships with people so we had a good group of volunteers who helped us run the disco and it was building relationships with them and, and with yourself uh simon it was but also with the young people then as well so i was um my role as bouncer uh, was to search the young people as they came in. That was the, the, the boys, uh, not the girls. Uh, so I had to uh, search them for alcohol or drugs or weapons. Um, so that part of the evening, you would just be verbally abused uh, <laughs> by each, uh, each young person. Uh, and then I moved into the smoking area. Um, a little bit controversial why we even had a smoking area, considering, mm. I think... None of the people who attended were legally allowed to buy cigarettes, probably. Um, but we, a lot of them smoked, so we had a, a smoking area, and I was stationed there for the night. Now, the smoking area was the only place in the building where you could actually have a conversation, because the music would be too loud anywhere else. So, yeah, being there each Saturday night, uh, just chatting to people while they're having their smoke, uh, and, and building relationships with them was a really important part of of uh, me kind of settling mm. I mean I think that's maybe that's part of why we we invited you asked you to to sit with us today is is it at least from my perspective just getting to know you the last few years <clears throat> you do have a sort of remarkable capacity for 
conversation, for dialogue with very different people, with people that are very different than yourself. And you really love it. You seem to be, you thrive in that sort of dialogue between people. And so that maybe that's part of what we want to talk about with you, because not only is it a characteristic, and, and I would even say maybe a virtue that you have, but the kind of ministry that you've created, the what you've done with Ignite, the way you lead, the way you and be lead Ignite, but also uh, just just how you carry yourself as a person in ministry is very different. Um, I mean, first of all, do you see that? I mean, do you do you know that you're a little bit of an oddball, at least in the Irish that... context? <laughs> I was going to say, is that different good? Or it's different not. Bad? It's not for me to say whether it's good or bad. I, of course, uh, I think it's good, but you know. It's funny because I think Simon would probably tell you that the first year I was in Dublin, I hardly spoke at all. Um, so it's it's funny to to get to know to to get to be known as someone who has conversations. And was that um, smoking area experience kind of you know formative for you somehow? It was. I think I've always been. I mean, growing up, I've always been kind of quiet. Um, I've always been. Yeah, like I I wouldn't be kind of the. The person at the center of the room or at the center of the party i was always uh, kind of out on the edges um but i think i've always really enjoyed getting to know people as well um something like uh, and and just getting to know different stories and, and understand different things um something my dad used to always tell me growing up um was that he always read multiple books so he wouldn't just read one book at a time he would read seven or eight different books um, at a time on different subjects and he used to compare it to like watching tv you know you would you can change your tv show without your head melting um so you can pick up a book and read a chapter and put it down mm. and pick up a totally different book uh, and mm. read a chapter and mm. your brain can handle it so uh, i i started kind of taking on those those kind of uh, lessons and ideas that my dad had taught me uh, and, and kind of bringing those into my life so so yeah, I do read an awful lot of different books and uh, all at the same time, and and I do love having conversation with with all different types of people. I'm always interested in an argument that's different to mine. Hmm. Um, I think I was watching a, a a debate between Jordan Peterson and Slavon Zizek recently, and uh, Peterson said uh, something that was um, equally funny and interesting at the start. He said. Um, that you should first of all assume that that almost all ideas are wrong um, and that should be your starting point um, so then you can explore your own ideas um, so don't just automatically assume that everything you think is correct mm. and right mm. um, but accept that almost everything is wrong mm. <laughs> um, and and I think I kind of take that on a little bit um, in terms of wanting to explore this idea of God <laughs> this story that we have through the Christian scriptures of redemption um, and and I want to explore that uh, not necessarily assuming that I have it all absolutely right mm, mm. Um, so I want to hear opinions from different people mm. uh, opinions from different Christian backgrounds opinions from different faiths opinions from atheists mm. um, and I want to be able to not just listen to their arguments so I can argue back, but listen so I can understand a little bit, um, mm -hmm. so I can understand where they're coming from and so that I can let it shake my idea down a little bit. 
Um, now, my idea may survive. <laughs> it may not. Mm, uh, that's mm, kind of the mm, risky take. Mm. But but I, I want to, to open yeah. myself up to this. Well, it is risk, isn't yeah. it? I think that's maybe part of what people don't realize, that, that we, we won't enter into dialogue. <clears throat> and particularly as missionaries, we can, we can resist true open dialogue because of fear because of yeah. fear of losing our position somehow or yeah. losing our faith it made me something you said just made me think of a i think a um there might be a a ted talk by karen schultz about on being wrong and she asked the question she starts off by asking the the, the audience what does it feel like to be wrong i think mm-hmm. and everyone says you know it's whatever it's embarrassing it's you know upsetting it's frustrating it's whatever and she said no actually that's what it feels like to find out you're wrong but to be wrong doesn't feel any different than being right so we carry i mean i suppose her point is we we carry false assumptions with us every day but we're just not aware that they're wrong Mm -hmm. and and there's a ignorance is bliss you know we're happy with those things and part of what part of what dialogue does for us so as a missionary person always trying to think about how do i engage the world around me the people around me that god has called me to we can sometimes miss that the sanctification or the value that the other brings to us and to our thinking because surely we carry with us wrong notions about god about the world about them yeah and they they potentially grant us this massive gift of helping us see that we're wrong. Now that's that's not always a joyful experience to discover that you're wrong about something, but you were wrong five minutes before you discovered it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it makes me think of the kind of like I often think of in terms of um, this sort of dialogue with with. People, uh, you know, even in our own church or even people outside of it, I often think of it in terms of the kind of iron sharpens iron idea. Mm. That actually these ideas, you're you're allowing them to to sharpen your own thoughts. Mm. So yeah, I could, I could decide to block myself off, only read what I agree with, um, only listen to people whom I agree with, and actually in that process I'm blunt, mm. um, uh, and I'm kind of. Harshly, I would say I'm useless. Um, but actually, if I go into the process of um, of dialoguing with other people who I disagree with, uh, of really trying to understand them and, and understand their arguments, then it, it sharpens my own thoughts. It sharpens my own um, ideas. I think it is a risk to go into these conversations. You can't, you can't go into open dialogue with someone else without it being a risk. Mm. Um you can't expect someone else to, to sit and listen to your arguments and, and your thoughts on life without listening and properly listening to theirs. Um, so, so that risk does exist. Although I have to say that, you know, even in the last number of years, I really feel like my understanding of God, my faith, uh, my, um, has all increased during this process of, of listening to other voices. Um, now, I'm not necessarily saying that that'll happen forever, um, but I have seen that kind of sharpening and mm. um, being a real positive uh, in my life. I think it's, I think it's really important for the 
like when we think about mission and we think about church, I think it's really important that we dialogue well because I don't I don't think the church does it particularly well. But actually, whenever you look on social media about contentious issues, lots of people struggle with dialogue. Yeah. Maybe that's more online than face to face, but it's something I think we need to learn how to do well. Do either of you have kind of thoughts on you know why does the church struggle with it? Is it because we we should hold a particular line on things? Is it a protection thing? Is it a well, the, the church in Ireland, I mean, putting this in an Irish context, has notoriously done this badly um, because, and I'm, I'm talking broad strokes here, um, but what I see in the culture in Ireland is that for decades, uh, the church has um, separated itself from real people um, and just talked to them, told mm. them what to believe. Um, and and actually it's it's missed something um it's uh yeah it hasn't built those real relationships on on ground level uh and those real two-way relationships and and what i see in ireland is actually a, a kickback against that um so in the last number of years it definitely seems like people don't want to listen to the church any longer mm. uh, and that actually if they hear what the church thinks on something they'll just think the opposite sometimes <laughs> or they'll they'll push the opposite direction um because they're sick of being told what to do um they're they're sick of the church high and mighty standing up there um hiding its own problems and abuses and mistakes um while while telling everyone else how to be holy and, and moral um and it just doesn't cut it any longer um so yeah the church on a wide uh, brushstroke in Ireland has totally failed in that mm. regard and and I would see at the minute that it's it's reaping what it's sowed uh, yeah I think uh, there is that kind of yeah a distant and a, yeah tell people what you think as you say and I think as we look at Jesus there's much more of a dialogue yeah. and an understanding of where things are at yeah. yeah we see Jesus meeting people where they are at we see Jesus going down to the well to meet the woman you know we see Jesus um kind of going to people's houses uh, and having meals and, and dinners with them. Um, like this is the, the picture we get of Jesus is him. Yes, teaching his disciples. Yes, he does obviously do his public addresses. Mm. But we also get this picture of him just communicating and being with people. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's important. I think one of the things that, that has always enamored me with the life of Jesus is his kind of, vulnerability like uh and, and it just occurs to me that when we when we engage someone with the gospel for example that's a very vulnerable space for them to be in because mm -hmm. their whole life and worldview is threatened mm -hmm. by that we're, we're basically saying you know everything you know is wrong kind of <laughs> it's asking a lot mm. actually for someone to to be open at that level, yeah. to really reconsider everything they think about themselves, their sin, their struggles, God, everything. And for us to not come into that dialogue, come into that, that exchange with a certain level of vulnerability ourselves mm -hmm. kind of corrupts or betrays or, or I don't know, poisons the exchange. Yeah. So even though Jesus was perfect and we're not, we can easily come vulnerably into conversations because we know we're wrong about things he didn't he yeah. wasn't wrong and yet he still postured himself yeah. in a way that was vulnerable of course culminating in the cross his whole life was leading up to this kind of 
massive exposure and vulnerability. But, but even in these little conversations where he took ordinary people's ideas seriously is kind of, kind of crazy. I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah. And if he could do it, I guess. <laughs> so, so, so there's that like reciprocity of vulnerability. Are we, and I get that from you, Michael, and, and even the way you run Ignite. So, you know, not just the one-on-one conversations or the one-on-one relational aspect of mission, but you have actually set up ministry forms like gathering, worship settings, that kind of thing that really have a conversational, open-ended element to them. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, how do you, how do you get there philosophically? Uh, how do you do that? Why do you do that? Yeah. Um, so one of my main roles in Ignite is the teaching element. Um, that, that doesn't just include Sunday morning, um, although that is a, a part of it. Um, and one of the things that I've really tried to push with teaching is that you can disagree with the teaching on a Sunday morning. You say that all the time. I, I yeah. Do, yeah, 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 I repeat it often. Um, because I, I think that is, uh, you know, we want to break down these walls of just there's someone who's correct and right up here and they're going to tell you what to think about this passage or about this aspect of theology. I want to break that down. Now, the person who is speaking has hopefully has spent time in the word has spent time researching and thinking and praying about what to to say um but they have a they have a perspective they have a bias um you know we all have biases um just by by the way that we grew up the the shirt you're wearing i should say right now that says what does it say it says all theology has an objective Adjective. adjective. All yeah. theology. So he's wearing a shirt that says, "All theology has an adjective," which is what you're saying. Yeah. So we all have a we all have a bias. We all have something. So me, I need to to accept that I'm from Northern Ireland, that I'm white, that I'm male, uh, that I'm middle class, um, and that that I bring all these things with me as I look at the word, as I as I pray, and as I figure out what God wants to say. And I bring those with me as well when I'm teaching. Mm. Um, so I need to accept that. So so when we're teaching on a Sunday morning, yeah, we often say you can disagree, but what we want people to do is to, to spark conversation. Um, so when someone teaches on a Sunday morning, we hope that you can take that away and talk about it with your family over Sunday lunch or dinner mm. or, or on a walk or can talk about it with a friend. Um, you don't have to agree with it, but we want you to think about it. Mm. Um, and I think we've really pushed that in the last number of years as a, as a way to, um, to get people to think for themselves uh, about faith um, and about their own faith and to be challenged. Um, Sunday morning ignites as well can really vary um, in their style and their format and we've done that on purpose as well. Um, so sometimes you'll walk into the room and it's all tables and chairs like a coffee shop, uh, which some people absolutely hate. Um, but it's just a, another way that we take to, to open up conversations so you can have conversation over the tables during the talk or, or whatever um, so, so we try and find different me- methods and, and ways of, of teaching and learning and I think another important aspect of it as well is that we, we haven't aimed to have a really polished service 
uh, which I think anyone who's been to Ignite <laughs> will agree <laughs> with you, that it's not a polished, perfect service, um, that things often go wrong, <laughs> that, um, I, that, yeah, sometimes you just don't know what it's going to be like. But, but what I want more than having a polished service, what I want is I want to give people the opportunity to feel like they can speak up, that they can pray out loud, that they can ask for prayer requests or uh, voice an opinion, um, no matter their background. Um, so almost that is more important to me because in a sense, when you feel like you can speak up or that you're really welcomed in as part of the service, um, that brings a sense of belonging. Mm. Um, it brings a, a sense of safety that maybe you can explore faith here, mm. um, that you can voice your opinion, even if it's, even if you think someone else is going to disagree mm. with you, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of fosters that uh, that dialogue uh, amongst the whole community. Then hopefully, mm. I think sometimes when when we think about church, we think about talks in church. Sometimes we think of a talk as the final say in the di dialogue. Yeah. So we've been discussing these things, and now mm. someone's going to present mm. the right answer. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you've talked a lot of times. You know, whenever you speak on a Sunday, that this is the start of the dialogue. Yeah. So you're going to introduce some stuff, throw some stuff out there, and you're quite provocative sometimes when you yeah. say stuff, and you're, you know, you push people a little bit in order for the conversation to start yeah. rather than for the conversation to end. Yeah. Well, that's I, interesting. I think by by placing the talk as the start of the conversation, actually, it frees me when I'm teaching because it frees me to be provocative. <laughs> so it means I can I can push an idea. Uh, Further, maybe than I normally would if I was like, "This is the end of the conversation." Um, and the uh, conclusion, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is the conclusion. I'm not gonna push certain buttons, but but because it's the start, let's just push all the buttons and see what mm. happens. Um, so uh, so that really gives me a lot of freedom uh, in that sense, just to, to go and, and run um, with uh, with ideas. But but also like I mean, I found and I keep an awful lot of my talks. You know, I. Um, I write them up and I save them on my computer and I've gone back through some of my talks from a year ago two years ago and I look at them now and go well I wouldn't I wouldn't present that talk now exactly as that I'd have to take out this paragraph I'd have to change that whole idea because I don't I don't that for me doesn't work any longer and uh, so for for these talks are the start of the conversation for me as well now I've spent time thinking about it, but it's the start for me as well. I look back and I see how I've journeyed. So I'm not going to present something that is the, the absolute conclusion on the matter um, uh, and leave it with, with people. Um, but rather, I want everyone to, to think and to debate. Um, and actually, I think that is where we truly find uh, faith and we truly find teaching. I don't actually think the, the teaching element on a Sunday morning, the, the presentation of, of the talk, isn't actually really the teaching part. The teaching part is the conversation that happens after it. Um, it's, a, it's a dialogue that happens after it. And the presentation is just a presentation of some ideas. Um, yeah, so the, the critic might say, um, you know, this is a dangerous game you're playing. And, you know, will, will, will a church over time lose their way? You know, because mm -hmm. if... if it's just kind of the blind leading the blind and yeah. uh, every, everybody's ideas are equal. And yeah. how do you respond to that? I mean, what's the, I mean, is there an implicit danger there? How do, how do you, how do we navigate that? Again, I would say there, there is risk there. I think in Ignite, we, we have, um, 
we do not rely just on one teacher. You'll be glad to know. So it's mm -hmm. not just me. Um, we have an awful lot of different teachers who are coming from different backgrounds and, and different places um, and, uh, and with different views on, on, on scripture and, and stuff as well. Um, so we're all coming from different uh, elements and I think that helps. I think ultimately, I mean, w we are seeking people to have conversation and dialogue, but we're also seeking people to connect with God mm. and to connect with the Spirit. So there is an element of, of prayer in this as well. So it's not just go and have a conversation and, and whatever, um, but rather we, we would want people to be praying and to be thinking about these things. Um, and praying as they think about them we would want we do encourage people to read uh, the scriptures um, again I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of um, reading chunks of scripture reading books uh, if possible um, rather than just a verse here a verse there and to get a better picture of what's going on so we are always returning to uh, to the fount um, and, yeah. and we hope then and we pray that, that Jesus is, is guiding this church, mm -hmm. that the Spirit is guiding this church um, in, in the way that it's, it's, it's molding and, and moving. No, it's really challenging because it, it, it begs the question, you know, who is teaching? Yeah. So when we talk about teaching in the church, when we, when we sort of idolize the pulpit and we imagine that this is the final word or this is, this is where orthodoxy flows from the pulpit, yeah. these human voices that have to, you know, sort of strike the note the pitchfork that then everyone in the church tunes to it's it you know it's it leaves god out of the equation so yeah. it's a really challenging thought to say who actually is the teacher yeah in a church mm -hmm. and and if it isn't like just for a second if we don't want that role if we say well, i'm just a human being and many of my ideas are wrong i just don't know what they are isn't it, isn't it a better, safer place, in a sense, to let God be the one teaching his people? Yeah. So how do we create environments mm. where the voice of God is heard and reckoned with yeah. in our daily lives? And I think part of what you're saying mm. is a multiplicity of voices yeah. and, and honest dialogue. Yeah, yeah. But you're still putting scripture and prayer at the center. Yeah. So it's still kind of anchoring you. It's not just an open spirituality dialogue. No. No, I mean, we, we are a Christian church. <laughs> so so the, the, the Christian... But it must be said. I mean, yeah, you're, you're st yeah. you still have a, a starting point. Yeah, and, and I mean, and even in, in my dialogue with, with other people from a personal aspect, I'm always coming to it as a Christian who reads the, the Christian scripture. So I can sit in a coffee shop with a atheist and, and chat away about theology and uh, faith and church but I'm I am clearly coming from a Christian standpoint mm. um, and uh, you know even if they are not but that that element is clear in the conversation and in Ignite we are a Christian church so the Christian scriptures are um, are important to us <laughs> because they we believe they teach us about who God is they teach us about who Jesus is and um, the the gospels are important to us because because we want to know who Jesus is as Christians as Jesus followers we want to know what is important to Jesus mm. <laughs> um and that takes paramount uh over over other ideas and, and thoughts mm. so so we're not just kind of shrugging our shoulders and and kind of going oh we'll pick up any kind of anything that sounds spiritual mm -hmm. 
or, or, or sounds good and we'll just run with it. But rather, as Christians, we're trying to figure out, well, who is Jesus? What does he say to us? And, and how do we follow him? Um, and there's a real trust there that, that God will be known somehow yeah. through it. We don't have to be afraid of, of alternative ideas or challenging ideas or whatever. Uh, it, it reminds me of the the little bit when Paul says in Corinthians that you have the mind of Christ. And, of course, we, I don't know what Irish people do, but Americans take that you and they 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 make it a singular you. Mm-hmm. You have the mind of Christ. Yeah. But it's not. It's a plural you. Yeah. You, all of you. And together somehow. Yeah. Jesus will be known in his people. Yeah. And we see this, like, I mean, we see this through the scriptures. We see this... Um, well, uh, again, in Ignite, I, I often bring up that, um, that when Jesus said, um, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Um, you know, it wasn't the world will know you're my disciples if you all agree with one another mm-hmm. and, and have the same political standpoint and the, the same idea and the way the world should be run. Um, mm-hmm. That's not what is, is there, but it's if we love one another and that takes power, paramount and, and, and precedent um, over... Um, over just agreeing with each other, and we but we also see it through the scriptures and and particularly through um, Peter and, and Paul uh, in Acts. You see this kind of the the early church trying to figure out well who are they, and you see this debate between these two very prominent church fathers, if you will, and this debate over well are Gentiles in or are they out or you know and and trying to figure out and actually it's through dialogue that they come. Uh, to the conclusion so again it's not just one person saying oh the gentiles know they're right and another person and and then splitting the church and and having two separate uh Mm -hmm. but rather it's through dialogue it's through conversation it's through yeah prayer and and seeking uh, the scriptures that that the answer and and the way forward is is fine so you have been listening to mission disco a podcast by praxis movement Simon, Brian, and Michael continue this conversation about creating environments where the voice of God is heard and reckoned with in episode two of our November edition. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like, or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify, or download online at praxismovement.ie.